Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show, brought to you, as always, by the great crew at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Today, we have the company of an Australian rugby league great and a premiership-winning captain and living legend of the Penrith Panthers. Greg Alexander was a gifted halfback with speed and creativity who dabbled at fullback and even wing in a career that saw him play origin for New South Wales and international football for the Kangaroos. Greg has since gone on from carving them up on the pitch to carving out a media career that's made him become one of the most recognisable faces in the game. And, of course, he's a big part of the SEN family as one half of the breakfast duo, Vossi and Brandy, up at 11, six, uh, SEN 1170. rather. Greg, Brandy Alexander, welcome. Thanks for your time. Uh, thanks, Sam. Uh, nice to be on. Old habits nearly died hard there. I nearly had you down here in Melbourne. But, of course, you're up there in Sydney, which I imagine is where we find you this morning. Uh, yeah, I've just finished the show. Um, uh, not with Fossey. With Fossey's having a, a few weeks off. Well earned. Worked hard through the uh, most of the rugby league season. And uh, I did this morning's show with Trent Cope, but a mixture of get, uh, co-hosts over the next or over the last few weeks with Jimmy Smith and James Magnuson. So it's been, it's been good fun. Awesome. And I was going to actually, didn't realise I was going to get you in the car, what, what we'd be keeping you from doing this morning, but you're clearly commuting, which is which is great. And, and I wanted to ask you, we'll no longer be keeping you from uh, from origin duties, of course. You stepped down as the chief advisor to your old teammate and obviously the Blues coach Brad Fittler back in September. What, what went into that decision, um, Greg? Because it's been a big part of your life over the last, what, six years? Uh, yeah, yeah, it has been a big part uh, of my life and, and very, uh, very fortunate to be involved in the origin setup because it, it is... You know, it's the biggest three games, apart from the grand final in rugby league through the year. And it's, it's got great history, you know, and it has become a, a monster. And you know, every anyone that is even partially inclined to watch a game of rugby league through the year will definitely make sure they watch the Origin Series. And, you know, it's become massive in the game since 1980 when everyone had it, everyone had their doubts about the future of it or the success of it. So to be involved in it over the last six years with the game's best players and being camped with them and watch them prepare themselves to play in these massive games with so much pressure on them. You know, it's been a big thrill. It's been a real privilege to be to be involved. And I, I guess six years and after, you know, losing the last two series, you know, and I, I probably thought I had been thinking about it and just thought, well, it's not a job you hesitate on. And if you're hesitating, it's probably time to get out. And, you know, that was the case. That's why I made the decision. Mm. It's a big part. It, it, it was a, a big part of my life, but it was also, it turned into a, a really busy period with working with SEM and duties with Fox, uh, still involved at Panthers. It became, you know, a very busy eight week period through the year so I, I think you know time was up sometime to give someone else a, a go at doing it and what level of stress does it carry Greg I'm like privileged positions like that don't come with that stress of course and, and scrutiny as well I mean back-to-back series losses as you say there's always a lot of debate over selection what level of stress did it carry with you uh, yeah look I, I guess well you, you you wear it with you you know and I've said through that that six years there's nothing quite like a, an 
origin win, but there's nothing quite like an origin loss. Mm. And yeah, it is. It's a difficult period if you're not winning, and it doesn't matter what sport you play. If you're not winning, it's 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 tough. Whether it's club footy, and everything is uh, magnified when it comes to origin footy, and that's what's great about it. Everyone's got an opinion, and and you know you pick apart the sides that are, that are announced, and everyone's got their say. So it, when you're losing, it is yeah. There's a lot of pressure, it, it, and I don't know how to actually describe what pressure is. You know, you can feel the weight on your shoulders because you are carrying, you know, the hopes of New South Wales. Just a bloody incredible grand final in the, in the NRL this year, wasn't it? So your Panthers come back from 16 down to become the first club in 40 years to obviously win three in a row. I mean, Nathan Cleary's big moments. How did that hit you on the night, Greg? Well, it, I went through a range of emotions on the night because at 24-8, I, I honestly thought we were gone, you know, and it wasn't until I watched the game because at full time it was just elation. So you forget about what had happened. You're just dealing with you've, you've won it. And it's not until you go back and watch the game again to watch what what did actually occur from that moment that you went down 24-8. And, you know, I was sitting with in the Panthers director's box and I was a bit worried at half time, even though we led by two, uh, the fact that we'd had a lot of ball and just couldn't seem to get away across the line. We, we scored a, you know, a try that had a bit of luck in it off a, off a line dropout from Adam Reynolds. So we just couldn't quite crack the Brisbane defence, even though we had a lot of ball and field position, which had me concerned, but certainly not to the levels that I was concerned at when we were down 24-8 and mm. Brisbane had run in three tries in a 10-minute period, which you just thought was going to be good enough to win them the comp. So what happened in the final 20 minutes, and that was something that was on our side, time. We had time, but I thought that we you know, had to pull, you know, pull a rabbit out of a hat or come up with some Hail Mary plays, but to the credit of this side and to the, you know, this is why they are a great team. They didn't waver from what they were trying to do in the first half, and in the end, that was enough to get them home. We saw Nathan you know, come up with a 20-minute period that I don't think anyone's ever seen in grand final history, and to win it was just you know, beyond what you could think it was going to feel like. Yeah, just exhilarating and, and, and one for the ages. That one will, will no doubt live on for a long, long time. I, I suppose you better cover off the nickname. I mean, you're obviously more well-known as Brandy than Greg. I, I've never had a Brandy Alexander cocktail myself. I, I imagine you have. I have and uh, and haven't had many since they were first hit, put in my hand by fans at the Penrith Leagues Club after a game <laughs> very early in my career because I picked the nickname up before I'd even started playing. I picked it up, you know, in the off-season in the trial match matches before I actually played a first grade game for Penrith. Uh, one of the local newspapers and the news, uh, one of the local uh, journos wrote in one of our local, I think it was the Penrith Press, following a trial game where I just happened to be in the right spot a few times and score a few tries. And in the article, he said he was potent as a Brandy Alexander. That that's how, and that stuck from that moment on. Uh, I was brandy. I'm brandy to my family. Yeah, Greg's sort of only my wife and my mum when they're cranky with me, and, and then it's Gregory, not Greg. Um, so, so brandy stuck, and I, I, you know, I guess not thinking about it, but you could you could have worse nicknames than brandy. Well, so, I was just, <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's a pretty classy drink. I mean, there would be worse to be named after. I mean. You know, Greg Dackery Alexander doesn't sound as good, does it? No, nah, it doesn't have a ring to it. Nah. The brandy drink, the brandy Alexander cocktail itself is not, not my cup of tea. <laughs> no, not, not, not my drink. But I'm, I, you know, thankful. A few fans, you know, bought me a couple over the years and so I had to, had to stomach them while they were watching and that. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. No, no, 
certainly not a favourite of mine. No, oh, good on you. You've got to be polite about it. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with how, you know, the guys and girls we have on this program, Brandy, you know, and how their bodies have held up after years of rigour at the elite level, and, and that certainly applies to you. How, how is your health? You have, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, is it Dipetrin's contracture, that more commonly known, of course, as, as Viking's disease, which is a nasty yeah. bloody thing? It is. Dupatron's contracture. I wasn't even close. Uh, which is, no, no. He, he was, Dupatron was the French surgeon that discovered the, the technique to, to operate and to try and rid people of this uh, affliction that uh, develops late, later in life. And what it does, it contracts your fingers. So they, and, and my, my, hands are, my hands are good now because I've had both surgery on both hands over the last three years. Uh, the most recent on my right hand this year, just to straighten out the fingers. People always thought that they were old footy injuries, but you know they weren't. So I'm uh, I'm good now. I've, I've you know I've, I've put up with it, and uh, it did interfere with golf, which was after having the operation three years ago on the left hand. I thought, wow, that's brutal, and it's a brutal operation to try and straighten the fingers out, and all the, the you know the, what they have to do to to, to get them straight is uh, is shocking. You, you look like your hand's been mauled by a dog for half an hour. That's how, that's how bad the surgery is. So I sort of put the right hand off for a few years, but once it interfered with golf, I couldn't get the grip on the golf club properly. I thought, well, I'm going to have to get it fixed. So <laughs> I, I, did that, I did that in April this year, but I haven't played golf. I haven't had a game of golf since last November, so I'm almost 12 months um, without hitting a golf ball, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm sort of, the off-season's coming, and I'm ready to get back on the golf course. But uh, apart, my body otherwise is in good nick I'm, I can you know I can run I can um, I've got no touch wood no real problems and pretty go to the gym I, I go to the gym down at the local uh, surf club the Collaroy Surf Club uh, which is where I, I've lived for the last 20 years in Collaroy you know sort of been 15 minutes in the gym which is about my limit and um, you know train with a few uh, ex-footy players that uh, that live around the northern beaches and uh, yeah it's good so body bodies I'm I'm in pretty good nick touch wood I'm a, yeah. I'm a bit fascinated by the surgery just quickly on on either hand because they take do they they take the grafts from your underarm don't they because has it been proven that the skin with the hair follicles ensures that that, that it doesn't return yeah i've got it we've, we've got a couple of listeners that refer to me as uh hairy hands yeah so, well that yeah um, that's the thing isn't it that, that is right the uh they take the uh, the skin graft which was done on the left hand i didn't get a graft on the right um the the doctor another i had a new surgeon that right. did the right hand but left hand um yeah skin grafts from under your arm because the hair the, the skin um hair follicle skin on your palm stops it coming back stops it returning they don't know why they can't explain it but they know it works so but you'd rather pluck um, out the odd hair as opposed to having obviously the the disease yeah well i, I don't even bother about the uh, plucking out of the hairs i'm not <laughs> sort of not not that much into self-grooming so <laughs> i just i just leave the hands uh are natural yes very nice very nice so you're listening to this is your journey it's all thanks to tobin brothers a family-owned business since 1934 up next we'll go back to the beginning with greg alexander you know what set him on the path to an incredible career at the top stay with us you're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Penrith Premiership Captain, Dally M medalist Greg Brandy Alexander is our guest today. So, Brandy, jump in the time machine uh, with me. How does one become the Prince of Penrith? What was your childhood like? Um, I had a great childhood. We, uh, I, you know, two brothers, two sisters. So there was five of us. Uh, my little brothers, I'm the oldest. Uh, my little brothers were, um, you know, were, were part of my rugby league journey. Uh, played a lot of, uh, and there, there was quite an age difference between four years, one brother younger and um, six years, the other brother. So they're a little bit smaller and younger, but backyard footy was big, backyard cricket massive. It was footy in the, in the, in the winter, cricket in the summer. And I, I remember my dad saying, to me, I was listening to him talk to a another another one of the dad might have been one of my uncles, and he said, "Greg's going to play for Australia one day." And I know plenty of parents have said that about their kids, and um, and I, I sort of hung on to that for forever, um, you know. And that was my goal, you know, back in the, the 70s and, and 80s when you were growing up, you aspired to play for your club, aspired to play for your country. So they were the big carrots. It, it's changed somewhat these days, where Origin has overtaken international football and you know kids might grow up now with different sets of goals but Mm. you know my goal was to play for Penrith and to represent Australia and I I guess I hung under that as you know as I grew up and you know played started playing rep footy back in those days Penrith had an under 10 side like I I played for the Panthers when I was 10 and then I played for the Panthers in Harold Matthews when I was 14 yeah SG Ball when I was 16. When I got to that age, I was going to St. Dominic's at Penrith, and my aim obviously was, you know, I'm I'm playing first grade no matter what. I changed schools, and I went to a school that was big in terms of the Commonwealth Bank Cup, um, which was televised schoolboy football, uh, and that was Fairfield Patrician, but I knew a boy that went there, Paul Langmack. I played under 15s New South Wales with him, and I thought, well, if I'm going to make it in footy, I've got to get myself on television. That's got to be, that's the starting point. So I changed schools. I went to Fairfield Pat. I used to catch a train from, from Penrith, two trains, a bus. Took me all day to get there. Took me all day to get home. Mm. You know, the goal was to, to get myself on television and make myself known as a, as a footy player. And that worked. We, we won the Commonwealth Bank Cup in 82 and 83. You know, by that stage, I, uh, you know, I'd become a bit of a commodity, you know, and so much so that Fairfield, which is in the Parramatta area, I was at school one day and our PA came. You know, this is the time before mobile phones in 83. She knocked on our history class door and she excused herself uh, to Mr. Wheeler, who was teaching us history. And she said, I've got a message for Greg Alexander. And I went, here I miss. And she said, Jack Gibson's just called and he said he wants you to come to training on Thursday. So Jack Gibson phoned the, phoned the school and through that, I went down and trained with Parramatta, who I just idolised. Even though I was a Penrith boy, you couldn't help but idolise the Eels, who were at that stage uh, two-time defending premiers, looking for their third straight premiership. And the biggest thrill of my young career was to go to training uh, with Peter Sterling and uh, Brett Kenny and Steve Eller and Mick Cronin and the rest of the Eels and run around and train with them as a schoolboy on the uh, on the wish of Jack Gibson, you know, the great coach. So I went and spoke to Parramatta about, you know, playing there, but I was never going to play anywhere else. I just thought it was flattering to be approached by the Eels, you know, to, to join them. 
Um, but I was never playing anywhere else but Penrith. And um, you know, after a year after school, I would, yeah, I was I was playing first grade for Penrith. Yeah, because obviously no draft. I mean, um, certainly not back then and not now. So when when did Penrith come calling, and how did it come to be that you you signed with them and found your way there? I guess Penrith was really you know because I played all the junior footy at Penrith, mm. um, the fact that I went to school in the Parramatta area really didn't change. It, it, I accomplished what I set out to do to change schools and go to that school and, you know, have a, a, a very good schoolboy career with them. And I, I don't know how it came about. I, I think it was just natural that I, I went and spoke to Penrith and, and agreed to, to play with them. It really wasn't even a decision. It yeah. was just okay, here I am, I'm playing with Penrith. I, I wasn't even, I didn't even think about what they offered or what, like it wasn't even a consideration what was on offer. Uh, what was on offer was that Penrith had just come through uh, a wooden spoon in 81 and a couple of, you know, really tough years where they finished down the bottom of the comp. In 84, they decided to make a coach change and Tim Sheens, who was a former player and was still player coaching out in the Group 6 area, which is Camden, which is just, you know, just... Um, south of Penrith. Tim Sheens uh, decided, took on the job as the first grade coach. So it was his first year as coach. I spoke to Tim uh, during the off season. Tim was great. I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Penrith boy. I'm playing with Penrith. They put a contract on the table. Uh, it said, look, we've gone through some tough times. We've only got one player on a sign-on fee. The rest, everyone else is playing for match payments only. So I was happy to do that. And, and we played for my first contract with Penrith was $600 a first grade game. No sign on fee, just 600 bucks a game. Wow. And, you know, I think it was, might've been 150 games if I played $150 if I played reserve grade. And so, yet I'm not saying you would have played for free, but you probably would have been willing at that stage to with stars in your eyes to play for far less than that. Well, well, of course I was just playing with Penrith. No, it didn't matter what the offer was. $600. I thought, wow, that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with that. If I, can, if I can, if I can get myself in, into first grade, I'll earn a bit of money, but I'll be doing what I really set out to do when I was seven or eight. So and that's play first grade for Penrith. So yeah, so Greg, just putting that aside, off the off the field, like what sort of upbringing was it for you and your family? What did mum and dad do for a crust? Mum was the secretary at the primary school I went to. Not when I was there, but when my younger brothers and sisters all went through the school, she was the uh, whether you call it a PA, but in those days you used to be called the school secretary. So mum was that. Apart from looking after us five kids dad was uh dad did a number of different jobs bit of laboring for a building company he was a he, he did uh, lay floorboards in when i was younger um you know used to, and i'd travel around with him to a couple of houses where he'd lay the floorboards and, and that and mum and dad split up when i was uh, 10 so really it was mum that you know dad was dad was always in the background but uh, mum was the uh the chief driver and uh Sounding board, everything, inspiration, yeah. inspiration that uh, got us kids to where we were, you know. And my two younger brothers ended up playing with Penrith as well. Um, so you know, we had, we were very competitive and very competitive, which is where you know I think you know these days that's where we got it. We were we were competitive. We're with Greg Alexander on This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. So Brandy hits professional rugby league like a cyclone in 1984 and the accolades start rolling in. That's after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. 
You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is Dalian medalist Greg Alexander. So, so Brandy, you'd play 265 games for two clubs in the end. But do you remember your first for the Panthers in 84? Yes, yes, I do. Yes, yes. I certainly, you know, I should have made my debut the week before I did, which sounds a bit strange. But so the first game of 1984 was the Dragons at Penrith Park, which was what it was called back in those days. And I played reserve grade in the centres after the game. I can't remember whether we won or lost that game, which is that's not a good thing but I remember I, I had a shower you know what I reckon we'd lost and I was I was cranky I had a shower and I, I I left I left the ground I just I went home Tim Sheens was looking for me said where's Brandy because he was going to sit me on the bench uh, for the first great game but I'd gone home you know in a dark mood mm. not happy and for and di- didn't even realize that this is what happened you know you played you then sat on the bench in first grade and I w- just didn't have that discussion with anyone and wasn't even thinking about you know playing first grade because I wasn't in the side I missed my chance most likely to play first grade that week um, it was the next week we came to Bookvale Oval and I played reserve grade again and then sat on the bench for first grade and then was put on the field uh, with about 20 minutes to go so that was my debut my run on debut came the following week when we played the roosters and uh i think it was daryl griffin was playing five eight and he picked up an injury against manly and so i got a an opportunity and so my first game was at five eight at penrith park yeah so what against the roosters what size were you coming in then brandy and i guess the speed and the power difference of playing schoolboys or reserve grade to this level and how did you find yourself adapting so quickly well the first game i played so the game that um tim sheens put me on against manly he played me in the center so he he threw me on in the centers and uh that night and those were the days where you used to have inside center and outside center and they'd play on the same side of the field different to these days where centers are split they play left and right and that 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 evening that early evening that i was thrown on the field I the centers for Manly that night that I was marking uh, were Chris Close and Noel Cleal so two of the biggest centers mm. you've ever seen both well over 100 kilos probably 105 110 kilos and at that stage of my development I was 18 and I was 72 kilos <laughs> so I was I was I was giving 30 kilos away Jeez. to the to the two blokes I was marking and but I guess you know back in those days and I remember Ron Willie saying to me in the mid 80 when I was about 80 mid 80 84 kilos he said Brandy you could have played second row when I was playing so the size of players is relevant to their age you know their era there's always big and little um, but players these days compared to when I started are generally 15 kilos heavier across the board you know Nathan Nathan Cleary playing halfback for Penrith now is 92 kilos. Yeah, yeah. Where I, I was I was 72. Yeah, and so many sports are the same, aren't they? Just the evolution of, of an athlete. But So your Rookie of the Year award in your first year of first grade, I mean, was keeping your feet on the ground difficult? And, and who helped you? Because regardless of the sport, early success, fame, etc., can can be, be a curse. So was there someone that kept you grounded or how did you keep it all in check? I, I don't really remember. I don't think there was... Well, like I had... Because I was young in the team, 
you know, I was surrounded by experienced players. Mm. You know, Roy Simmons, there are a number of others, but Royce Roskig, you know, some names that, you know, people wouldn't remember now, Ken Wolf. Um, you know, I was surrounded by guys that had been at Penrith for 10 years. Um, cause we had a, I, I won't say it was an aging side, but we, we had a lot of experience while there hadn't been much success. You know, these blokes were very good players in their, in their own right. So I, I had, I was surrounded by, you know, pretty level headed blokes and blokes that wouldn't, you know, and I, I, I didn't change. I, my, my personality didn't change because I was having, mm. cause I had a great year to start, but they were, you know, they were people that kept you pretty level headed and, you know, I had mates that were you know, still mate, mate, blokes that I went to school with and, um, you know, they didn't get carried away with what was happening. They sort of, they'd grown up with me being a good football player, so nothing really changed. It was just on a different level now. Yeah, and critically, you went to another level again in year two, so you broke Bob Landers' long-standing club record, of course, for most points scored in a season, and you won the coveted Dally M. I mean, this is all in the second season. I know, it's only downhill from there, isn't it, uh, <laughs> Sam? Uh, yeah, so it was a pretty good start. And uh, 85 was a great year at Penrith because we made the finals for the first time. So mm. we'd been in the in the NRL or in the eight, New South Wales Rugby League as it was then. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, ARL or NRL. It was just the New South Wales Rugby League. Mm. And... Um, yeah, we, we you know we we played finals footy for the first time since we came into the comp in '67, and um, you know '85 was a great year for the club to to be you know to finally crack that you know get in the top five. Uh, we had we had to um, beat Manly in a Wednesday night playoff uh, to get there. We both finished on the same points, and uh, we beat Manly in a tight game, 10-7 at the SCG. Uh, and then we we rolled into uh, a final against the, the the might of the Parramatta Eels, <laughs> um, which sort of brings me back to one of my lasting memories, or one of my real standout memories of that first season in '84 was the final game, final uh, regular season game was against Parramatta. So the arch rival, the big brother, the defending premiers, the, the three time defending premiers, uh, we were playing to make the semi-final. So we had to beat Parramatta. If we beat Parramatta in the final round of that 84 season, we make the finals for the first time. So we'd had a really good year and we played in front of what was then and still might be a, a record crowd. So there was no grandstand on the eastern side. It was just a big hill. Um, we had the grandstand on the west. Both both hills at the end were, were chock-a-block. I think there was 23,000 there. It was a massive game. And I remember, I just remember a moment at a scrum, you know, and these were the blokes that I, you know, this Parramatta team were the team that I idolised. You know, I remember standing at scrum next to Peter Sterling. Um, you know, they had Steve Edge at hooker. Uh, Ray Price stuck his head up out of the back of the scrum. And you know, I looked across the back line and there was Brett Kenny and Mick Cronin and Steve Ella and Eric Groth. Um, out on the wing, and I just thought, wow, this is this is so good. Mm. And we uh, we we gave such a good fight that day. We I think we went down twenty two ten, but it was yeah, it was the standout one of the standout moments of my career was that that final game. Even though it was a loss, you know, it was a, a loss. A win would have put us in the finals. We didn't get it done, but we we got it done the next year.
There's so much to get to in this part of your life. I want to try and get to as much of this as I can. So you're a late call-up to the Kangaroos team in 86, uh, Brandy. How do you reflect on representing your country as you did in six tests? Uh, Penrith, I think, first homegrown test player. How special? You mentioned it was your childhood dream. Was that in the end? Uh, yes, that was, you know, because playing for your country and going on kangaroo tours were almost, they were, they were, they were filled with so much romance, um, you know, a team touring and playing in England. And I remember watching the, you know, fixated to the television uh, to watch the 78 kangaroos play over there. And then the 82 kangaroos. And uh, that was a dream. And I, I'm sure it was a dream of all young players back then was to play for Australia and get on a kangaroo tour and go overseas for three months playing against English club sides and playing test matches, you know, in these grounds that you just thought were were mystical. Um, You know, Wembley and Old Trafford and Anfield and some of the great stadiums in England. Yeah, yeah. So to to get on the 86 tour was... um, was incredible and to be honest i i didn't make the first pick so they picked the squad and uh uh we'd finished we'd finished uh the season and i was i missed out and i was bitterly disappointed you know i thought oh you know i i, I thought i'd done enough to get picked in the side but i didn't so i got on with it and then we were off to hawaii for our uh our penrith our panthers trip away so we're, i was getting ready to go f- to hawaii um and it, and the next day, the kangaroos were flying out. So, and we were flying out on the same day. So I was going to Hawaii, same day kangaroos were going to England. Mm. Uh, I packed a bag that was, you know, the size of a, um, you know, a, a tiny backpack for, for, for the summer trip to Hawaii. And Tim Sheens rang me uh, that afternoon and said, Greg, swap bags, get your, get your heavy gear, you're in. Eric Gross been ruled out with injury and you're in the squad. So oh, that was the best phone call I'd had forever. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was a great phone You would have been happy to be freezing over there if it meant you were playing. Oh, your, your second Kangaroos tour, though, in 1990, I wanted to talk to you about this. You're in southern France, beautiful part of the world. Now, you cross for a try. Now, you, you mentioned um, cricket and you mentioned football. You didn't mention gymnastics in your youth, and yet here you are. I think you've been practicing a backflip in training, hadn't you? And then you unleashed it in a particular game at a particular moment when you might have made the result safe in the final game. Now, tell us about this celebration for the ages. Yeah, well, I, I was a gymnast at school because um, we, we had a PE teacher when we started. When I started at St. Dominic's in Penrith, we, our PE teacher was a, a gymnastics teacher. So right. for sport, we did gymnastics. So instead of you know doing other sports, we did gymnastics. And, and I, I just became a, a, a gymnast like round off back somersault uh, off the horse um, you know I, I was sort of I got right into gymnastics in my younger years and just held the ability to be able to do backflips and somersaults and um, never really thought about it until I did one at training and one of the boys said because there was no such thing as try celebrations mm. in 1990 that, that just that didn't happen and uh, one of the boys uh, and the boys said, wow, backflip. Like, and I said, yeah, I've you know, been able to do them forever. Um, and they said, why don't you do one after you score a try? And I said, yeah, that sounds all right. Like, you know, that's not a bad idea. Like, that's, you know. Um, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it in England. I thought, yeah, it's a bit larry. You know, it's just, you know, I don't think the English crowd will appreciate it. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a larry person. I don't like to bring attention to myself but in France 
where the crowds weren't so big and it, you know the footy wasn't as tough it wasn't as as tough as 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 England clubs and so in the test match against France I thought well there's not many people here I'll just I'll throw it in it's the end of the tour uh, it's our last game so I'll I'll do it so I, I was fortunate I scored a try and thought well, I'll throw it in why not yeah and um I didn't know how it'd be received but um, there we go. The backflip oh, yeah. start of it. You know, then we had Anthony Mundine and Nathan Blackrock, and <laughs> now players would. Uh, yeah, we had Reese Walsh this year do a do an inverted backflip after he scored a try, which was which was pretty special. But um, yeah, ne- never one really seemed to attract attention no. to myself, but just thought I'd I'd I'd, I'd squeeze it in somewhere. No, nah, right time, right place, and you're ahead of your time. Um, Back to Penrith. So 1990, you, you play some amazing football. You get the Panthers into the grand final, you and your teammates. You're beaten ultimately by the Raiders. Uh, maybe your goal kicking wasn't quite on song, so that there's some pain associated with that. So I can't imagine what level of satisfaction came 12 months later, Brandy, when you beat them 19-12 and you take control of the game in the second half. This must have been one of the highlights of your career, I'd imagine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that, it's you know that's the standout moment. That's our that's the great achievement you know of that team that I played in, um, and you know had teammates that were, were were together for for many years, and most of us were juniors. We had a couple of players come to us from other clubs over that period that sort of helped our development. Chris Mortimer and Peter Kelly, and then you know Paul Clark and and Paul Dunn joined us as front rowers in 80 in 90 and um you know got us to that position and after losing the grand final in 1990 it's a yeah it's a it's a devastating blow to lose a grand final and uh but it is great motivation to keep you going the the following year and go that one better Mm. so 91 was a great year 90 was a good year too we're up against a great Canberra team that had won in 89 beat us in 90 and then we faced them in 91 and, um, you know, we're down 12-6 at half time. Things weren't looking great, but we, we had a great second half. We, I, don't, I don't know if Canberra played the ball inside our half until the final three minutes of that game. I think, you know, mm-hmm. we, in terms of field position, footy and possession, you know, what they talk about, the important things that win matches, our defence was great. Uh, and we were just able to somehow... You know, scrape enough points and and you know get a win. Simo scored two. Royce scored two tries in his final game. Uh, it was a it was a fitting way for Royce to finish his career. Uh, we had some great players: MG and Cardi and Johnny Cartwright and Brad Fittler, young Brad Fittler. Um, yeah, it was it was yeah a great day. And I and I and I said it in my acceptance speech when I lifted the trophy. Um, and the, the current side have taken on that mantra that, you know, they this is for the people of Penrith. Um, you know, the fans had been through such a tough time, you know, in the early years, but stuck with us and, you know, rusted on fans, certainly enjoyed that moment. And, you know, your first premiership, we've gone on to win another four now. But, yeah, um, yeah that, was, that, was a, that was a great day.
Now, we were speaking about injuries earlier, and they are always a risk, um, especially in your old profession, Brandy, which is uh, among the more brutal going around. So just before we break, the manner in which you were sidelined in 1987, I think it was, features quite regularly in any, you know, cheaper shots segments that are doing the rounds. Now, have I got this right? Was it was it a detached retina in the end? Uh, no, it wasn't a detached retina. It's just a, 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 in the end, it was like just a, the eyeball bled. Um, right. And, and it was bleeding, but, but there was no permanent damage and I didn't have to have surgery to repair anything. Um, but it was a, yeah, it was an eye gouge. And, and the guy that, um, that eye gouged me also eye gouged two of my teammates on the day, uh, on the same, in that same game. So uh, he, he got 20 weeks suspension and he might, he might get 20 months suspension these days if yeah. the same thing happened. Um, but you know, that was, that was, it, it, it was just a moment. It was, you know, a, a little bit scary, but the doctor assured me that there was, you know, pretty quickly in the sheds that everything looked all right. And there was no permanent damage, but it, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty ugly moment. Um, and he, he got three, three eye gouges in the one game. That's, Amazing. That's pretty crazy. I don't know what was going through his head. Yeah, and and I think it was said that that might have been the time that the league had said, you know, enough is enough with this with this sort of foul play as well. So um, you're listening to this is your journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. There's just a bit more to come with Greg Alexander right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We've had the company today of rugby league icon Greg Brandy Alexander. So, Greg, I wanted to only touch on this. Sadly, you are certainly no stranger to tragedy and, and perhaps the worst kind. So... June 21, 92, you lose your brother, you lose your teammate, Ben, in a car accident. I, I must admit, I, I'm not sure how comfortable you are talking about this. Ben was only 20 at the time, a rising star, you know, in many ways, I'm sure, following in your footsteps before, you know, it was all taken from him. Mm, uh, yeah, very tough period, Sam, um, for the family and me and uh, for, for the, uh, I, I guess, the, the Penrith community. Um mm. You know, he was, as you said, he hadn't had his 21st birthday, um, made a mistake, you know, got behind the wheel when he shouldn't have um, and uh, paid the ultimate price. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was a tough period, which sort of, you know, kicked my career in a different direction. Um, not that I was really that concerned about the career at, at that time. Mm. Um, you know, but uh, a very difficult period. I, look, you know, I, it's it's thirty, thirty over thirty years now. Um, you know, and I've I've spoken about it many times. I'm, you know, I've, I've I don't like talking about it, but I feel comfortable enough to talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, yeah, it was a it was a devastating blow. He was um, yeah, great kid. Yeah, and understandably, going back, as you said, you, you wouldn't be able to think about the game for some time. I think you sat out most of that season in, in 1992, and 
Your weight plummeted as well. I think you were playing at the back end of that season, maybe, what was it, 10 kilos lighter than usual when you returned. And then the move to Auckland and the Warriors in 95, Brandy, I mean, that was their first year in the competition. Was this about a a change of scene, you know, getting away from it all as a result of that, all of that, so to speak? Absolutely. That's that's all it was about. It was about nothing else. It's not that I I didn't want to stay in Penrith and play for Penrith and, and it really had very little to do with who I wanted to play footy for. Um, I just felt like after battling through, I had a knee injury that year too, which was mm. um, in 92, which sort of kept me off the field for as long as it did. But, you know, uh, dealing with um, the loss of Ben was certainly something that I, I, I didn't handle well. You know, I, I, everyone handles things differently. Um, and I wish I handled it better, but I, I didn't. And um, the move to Auckland was all about, you know, a fresh start, just something, you know, a different environment, you know, different people, just to try and kickstart um, the career. And uh, in the end, it was a good move. I, I you know, went there with my uh, then girlfriend who became my wife. Uh, my brother, Pete, came across and spent, you know, a year with us mm. working. Uh, Tanya's brother, Adam, came across and spent some time with us too. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, uh, it sort of, it played its part in, you know, refocusing, uh, you know, my mind back on footy. Yeah, and you eventually returned to Penrith in, uh, I think, 97 and, and stayed there until your retirement a, cu- a couple of years after that. So I've got to ask you, kangaroos... New South Wales origin wins, winning the grand final with Penrith. Can you sort them into some sort of order, uh, Brandy? Uh, definitely, you know, in my career, definitely winning the grand final. Yeah, you know, playing with playing with guys that you you grew up with and played footy against as as juniors, and um, you know, playing with family members. MG was you know uh, wasn't married to Megan then, but was going out with her and. Um, you know, a lot of good mates, you know, playing with Royce for 10 years, him being, you know, my captain for that long, um, that, that, that is definitely the pinnacle. Um, going on kangaroo tours, making those two kangaroo tours, 86 and 90, the best rugby league experiences I've had, yep. uh, without doubt. Um, but different because they're, it's more personal then playing for you, representing your country. Um, whereas... Whereas playing for Penrith is you are playing for the district, you're playing for the people, you know. You that so it, it's how I sort of you know split things up in terms of accomplishments. Um, and and state of origin was great too, but you know at the at that stage in my career, my life, state of origin, um, you know, behind winning a comp and playing for Australia. Greg Alexander, great to catch up with you, mate. I mean, yours was a storied playing career, club level, origin level, international level, like we've discussed. You won that premiership for your beloved Penrith. You won the game's biggest individual award and achieved just about everything in the game. So well done on everything you've done, and, and we appreciate you sharing your story with us. And make sure you keep Vossi honest up there at uh, SEN 1170. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have good fun. and it's, it's been good to chat. Thanks, Sam. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online there at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.